you want to win big faster, you've got to have an actual savings goal that you're trying to hit. And then you've got to challenge yourself every single year, six months, whatever that time frame is to push it a little bit more, because that's really the only thing you have control over is how much you can save. Microphone check one, two, what is this? You're now listening to a brand new episode of the Play Big Faster podcast. Look what you done started. Let's go. Welcome to another episode of the Play Big Faster podcast. I'm your host, Cherie Prince, and we're joined today by Lisa Sakai, your bucket list accelerator, aka financial consultant. Hey, Lisa. How are you? Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here. Now tell us what exactly is a bucket list accelerator? I know what a financial consultant is, but what is a bucket list accelerator? So a bucket list accelerator is a title I gave myself because I work with clients on building and actually checking off items off their bucket list because When I've been doing this for 13 years, working with people on their personal financial journeys, essentially, and essentially they were just not taking any time for themselves. They weren't really enjoying their lives. They were so focused on retirement or some financial goal or something that they thought they were supposed to be doing, then they weren't actually enjoying anything in their life. And when they get to retirement, they didn't know who they were or what they wanted. And so it makes retirement so much more daunting and also a lot more expensive, honestly, if you don't know what you really want and you don't know who you are outside of work or your business or whatever you're doing, being a mom. And so essentially, I started helping people build in bucket list items while they're doing planning so that we can start checking those off, enjoying our life. But it also is a great way to motivate yourself for longer goals, because people have a long time, usually to retirement, maybe 20, 30 years sometimes. And that's a long time to stay on track, you know, be good or whatever people think. And so essentially, this is the best way to get them to be focused on shorter term goals while they're working towards their longer term goals. And that is such a good point because you said they may have 20 or 30 years. Mm-hmm. When is the best stage in life to start working with someone like you? Personally, I think it's when you can. So if you're 22 years old and you've got some stuff you want to take care of or you've got some goals, I actually think it's actually a good time to do that. And there's a lot of options for people to be able to actually work with financial advisors for a project or just ongoing consulting every month or something like that. There's a lot of different options out there. It's not just you have to have a certain amount of money for people to manage anymore. So you just have to find the right advisor for you. But I think the earlier, the better, because they'll guide you towards building some of those good financial habits. And from building those, it just starts you off on a better foot. And There's nothing that can replace longevity, meaning how long you start doing this, how long you save, how long you invest, how long that is going to trump really anything else than trying to get the best rate of return or whatever it is. The more that you can focus on what you can control, which is really time and how much you save, that's going to be what helps you win in the long run. 
So let's say, for instance, you have a recent college graduate who's maybe yeah. starting out in the workforce, maybe $45,000, $50,000. Not a, just a lot, but what are some options or things that you may talk to a recent college graduate about? Yeah. So it depends. Student loan can be a big one, depending on what their what kind of loan situation they have. Maybe some debt. We've all gone through that crazy time where we get the credit card and we go a little nuts and they want to know how to handle some debt that they have or how not to get back in debt if they've gotten themselves out of it. So that's a good area. Also, they get really confused about what's being offered to them at work. So maybe a 401k or some benefits or things like that. And they don't really understand how any of those work. And so I have found that when, and this is not just young college graduates, this is everybody. If we don't understand it, we get fearful and then we just don't do anything. And so that would be a great thing to start talking to them about how do their benefits work? How does a 401k work? Should you contribute to a 401k? It's that kind of myth that everybody should just contribute to their 401k. But for some people, that's not the right option. So you just need to know what you're trying to accomplish. And that's going to change. If you're 23 years old, you're going to have much different goals when you're 43. But at the same time, if you don't have some kind of vision or direction you're moving towards, you're going to be lost for a long period of time. So I'd rather have that be a moving target rather than just have no target at all. So I think those are some things I would talk to a new college grad about is how do you build how do you build a a really good goal for yourself and how do you build a vision to be able to get out there and really take life by the by the collar and get going on stuff. Be successful, feel successful. How does that conversation change if you don't have W-2 employment, if you're actually an entrepreneur? How do, yeah, how do- it changes in some respects. It changes, but not as much as I think people think it will be. <laughs> so it's funny, I was talking to a good friend of mine. She's a CPA in New Jersey, and she was saying that business owners... A lot of, especially now when people left in 2020 and started their own business is the big resignation that we keep hearing about. They left and they're like, I'm working for myself. This is so much better. I have freedom. I have all this stuff. But she's she made the really good point that actually a lot of them are not actually taking care of themselves as much as their old company had in terms of benefits in terms of wages, in terms of retirement benefits, matching themselves, any of that stuff, they're actually shortchanging themselves. And so I would say it's the same conversation, which is, I know we're trying to build a business. We're trying to trying to get it to be profitable, which is always hard at the beginning, right? And then you try to do all these other things. But we have this mindset when we're business owners that everything should just go back into the business. I just keep reinvesting. But you have to reinvest in yourself too. And that does mean paying yourself a wage. And that does mean paying yourself some retirement benefits, saving for your future. And maybe you don't need to put a 401k in place or a SAP IRA or something like that yet. But having at least enough cash reserves to get through certain hard periods of time or saving someplace else, I would say is a huge form of self-care. So it's a similar conversation almost because it's reinventing that 
idea of who you are and that now you really have to force yourself to do it because there's no company just saying, I'll take it out of your paycheck for you. <laughs> and it's really a conversation of what do you really want? And I would say most, I'd say most, probably a lot of business owners aren't sure of what their vision is. And so if they don't really know what they're trying to accomplish, then it makes it a little murky to get to where you want to go. So where would you suggest is the best place to save? It depends. <laughs> so it depends on your situation. It always depends, right? I just That's the thing that I think I say the most to clients and they like roll their eyes. I'm like, well, it does. It does <laughs> depend. So if you're, it depends on where you're starting from, really. I would say the biggest thing that people don't take into account is an emergency fund. As much as people don't like having money just sitting in the bank or it's boring or like, why do I really need this? We talk ourselves out of that. And I always say that is actually the first step to financial freedom is having three to six months in the bank because you are now no longer living paycheck to paycheck. You now have choices that you didn't have before and you know how to save. And you can rebuild it You because you've done it once before. You can do it again. It's like kind of building that muscle. The muscle is hard, but once you have it, if you take a couple of weeks off, it's okay because you can get it back again a lot faster. So I would say starting with an emergency fund is key. And then you have to decide where are we going to go? Are we going to push it into some growth, meaning like investing or something like that? Or do we want to take a look at some safer avenues, depending on the goal that we're trying to accomplish? If we're trying to go to Bali in two years, you might not want to put it in the market. But if you're trying to put it away for retirement in 20 years, then that might be more of an investment kind of vehicle. And I coach people on asset protection. And the one mm -hmm. thing that I tell folks is you have to have a Lisa or a financial advisor on your team. Yeah. as part of your team. And the second thing is you have to have a plan. So how would you suggest that people put a plan together? Yeah, no. And those are great points that you bring up with clients. I would say, again, it sounds like I'm beating, beating the head of the nail again, but it's about really focusing on what you want. I think that's the problem that we have mostly is we've taken a vision that mom or dad told us to have, or we've told been told by society we're supposed to do, which is you're supposed to hit a million dollars for retirement. It's all supposed to be in your 401k because it's tax deferred. And we have this story that we think that we're supposed to do, but A, it's not a very motivating story for us because it's not ours. It's not really what we want. It's just the good rules that we're supposed to be following. The other thing is that it's really hard to accomplish. And then when you accomplish it, sometimes that's not the right path. Like my dad saved the million dollars for retirement and stuff. That was not the right move for him. He needed to save more. But nobody told him that because he didn't have he didn't have a financial advisor until after he retired, which is when I went into the business. But essentially that I think that's the biggest thing is really figuring out what do you want? What are you trying to accomplish? Especially nowadays, because that word retirement is so murky now. People don't really know what retirement looks like for them. They just imagine people sitting on the couch watching TV all day 
or or traveling, but can't you travel before you retire? Couldn't you accomplish that before that time comes up? And you have the two sides of the argument, which is people want to retire as fast as possible because they hate what they're doing right now, which is awful. And I'm so sad that they're in that position. Or they're like, I'm never going to retire. And so they don't save anything because they're never going to retire, which leaves them without choice in life. And so it's really about figuring out what you want your life to look like, whether it's being financially free at age 55 or whether that means I'm going to work the rest of my life, but you still want to have those visions happening throughout their bucket list items, things that you want to accomplish, things that we're saving for to create this life that you really want. So I would say the most important part of when you're building a plan is knowing where you're trying to get to, and that might change, but having an actual vision of what we're trying to accomplish makes putting the steps and the strategy in place so much easier. You mentioned that your dad, the million that he saved was not enough. Is there a metric that I will know this may be enough for retirement? And I know everybody's Mm -hmm. different. With the emergency fund, we'd recommend three to six months. But for retirement, is there any sort of metric? How do we know that it's enough? Yeah. So the metric that's usually put out there, and I even read that Fidelity put this out there, was 10 times your salary. So if you make 100000 it's a million dollars. The problem that I have with that, where is the million held? How is it going to be taxed? This is in your 401k and it's a traditional 401k. So it's all going to have income tax coming out because the myth that's told to us is that once you hit retirement, you're going to be in a much lower tax bracket than you were working. And that's not true. A lot of the times I would say for 90% of the people I know who've moved into retirement, they are in the same, if not a higher tax bracket because they're taking out money. And there are things called required minimum distributions that are forced to you forced to take money out at a certain age. For most people, it's like 72, 73 now. So essentially, those kind of things play into your income. And so is that million dollars in a 401k or an IRA, is that truly a million dollars? No, not really. If it's sitting in a Roth or some kind of after-tax vehicle, possibly that could be enough. But I think that's the kind of thing that you have to consider is, okay, if 10 times salary is going to be your metrics that you're going to use, then you've got to figure out, do you need 10 times salary monthly after tax or pre-tax? And I think it just depends on what you're trying to, what you're trying to do in retirement. And if you're sitting on the couch all day, that doesn't cost you very much money to do that. But if you're traveling all over Europe, that's going to be a much different expense level. Wow. So how did you end up here? Did you know that you always want to be a financial advisor? No, (laughs) very blanketly. No. So I was, I worked in, I grew up in Los Angeles. I worked in Hollywood for a little bit. I grew up thinking I wanted to be a producer or screenwriter and I didn't like any of that, honestly. I loved the people I worked with, but I just didn't feel like I was making the impact I wanted to. And I actually, very true story, I was getting my boss's car washed for the fourth time that week, or detailed, I should say, the fourth time that week. And I just thought, 
I could do so much more in life. And I just decided that whatever I was going to do was going to be making a difference for people. And so I pivoted and I went directly into teaching because if you want to do something completely different from Hollywood, you go into teaching. So I did that pivot. Exactly. Totally 180. And I started teaching elementary school and I loved it. It's very political and I don't even mean Republican, Democrat political. The internal politics is just horrendous. And I just was not enjoying that process anymore after a couple of years. And they love teachers in this industry and especially for insurance because insurance is very difficult to understand and teachers can explain it in a way that people can understand it. And so I got recruited into insurance, life insurance and that kind of thing, and moved into financial planning, retirement planning, all that stuff from there because I wanted to see the whole picture. I wanted to, I wasn't very good at just focusing on the insurance. I needed to know what the insurance was doing and why it needed to be. And I needed to prove it to myself and not just the client, right? So if I didn't know their whole picture, it was really hard for me to tell somebody to buy insurance for whatever reason. So anyhow, that's how I got into this industry. And so it's been 13 years and I, we broke away about two and a half years ago to start One Vision Retirement and couldn't be happier. Love working with clients on this stuff. What are some of the most misunderstood things about what you do and how you help people? I think some of the mis- most misunderstood things is that people don't want to talk about finance and they don't. They, I always, I don't know, this always makes me laugh, but I'm, I don't know if you've ever been to one of those like women's conferences that are empowering and you're there and they always say, who wants to make a million dollars? And everybody gets up and they go, woo, and we're all like clapping and stuff. And I just sit back and I go, okay, who wants to make a million dollars and know how to control it so that they're continuing to make their million dollars or they're continuing to push into that lifestyle because nobody wants to hit a million dollars and then all of a sudden drop back to 50k but if you don't know how to handle your money that could very easily happen like lottery winners right they're notorious for having this huge sum of money and going bankrupt like three four years later and i would say the biggest misconception is that we don't want to deal with money. We think if we just push it to the side, it'll take care of itself. It'll, and the misnomer is that you're ignoring it, but what you're really doing is you're still living your financial journey. You just don't control it. You're letting money, however it wants to go, control itself. And that's not the way to live your life or live a life that you can live your best life, right? And so if you can just take a little time to empower yourself enough to start to control your money so that it's doing what you want it to do, that is really the key to, I'm partial because I do this for a living, but I think that's the key to happiness, really. Money doesn't make happiness. It doesn't, right? You can be an unhappy person and have lots of money and still be unhappy. But if you know how to use your money to build that lifestyle that you love. And that doesn't mean you have to go to trips in Bali. Maybe that's giving back to church or a charity. Maybe that's buying your parents a home. Maybe that's just having that ability to say, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And nobody's going to tell me that I can't do that. That's what I mean by it can really 
make you happy in that respect because you are now completely in control of your destiny. And I think that's the biggest thing that we push aside because we, especially we as women go, I'm not good at math. I don't like money. I wasn't taught this. And it's true. All of that's true in terms of women aren't taught this for whatever reason. And we have to change that narrative though, because if we keep saying that to ourselves, we're never going to dominate. I hate to say it, but we won't dominate. And that's what we should be doing because we all know that we do things better than guys do. <laughs> um, if you had one piece of advice to give someone on how to play big faster, what would it be? I would say the biggest thing you can do to play big faster is to actually set a savings goal. And I know we think, okay, new year, of course I set a savings goal, but we don't really set a savings goal. We say, I'm going to save more. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. Does that mean $200? Does that mean a dollar? A dollar is technically more, right? So set an actual goal and stretch it a little bit. So if you think you can save 200, maybe stretch it to 300 and actually start to build towards that. And one month you might only save $100 and another month you might save $500. And it's okay because every month is a reset. But if you don't have an actual goal of what you're trying to save, you're never going to get anywhere. It's not going to happen. Is more is just another generalization that we can push off to the side because we weren't specific enough. There's no target. And the target is everything. So I think if you want to win big faster, you've got to have an actual savings goal that you're trying to hit. And then you've got to challenge yourself every single year, six months, whatever that time frame is, to push it a little bit more. Because that's really the only thing you have control over is how much you can save. Lisa, this is some good stuff. Now, I saved the best question for last. Are you okay. ready? I am. How can our listeners contact you? Because they're going to want to... <laughs> Yeah, they're going to want to talk with you and work with you one-on-one -on -one or however they can work with you. Yeah. So how can they contact you and learn more about what you do? Yeah, so I always say the best place to go is first our website. We have a bunch of resources on there on our resources page. And it's a great way to get to know what we're putting out there. There's a great piece I recommend for anybody. It's called Baby Step Your Way to Financial Independence. And there's actionable things in there, things you can do immediately to start changing your mindsets, changing your habits. OneVisionRetire.com is our website, and that's always a great place to go to just get started. And then you can find me on social media pretty much everywhere. So other than TikTok, I can't dance on TikTok, but I can do all the other stuff. That is great. I'll make sure that I'll include that in the show notes. Great. And until next time, play big faster. Thanks for listening to this episode and remember to play big faster. 